0: You're listening to Book Stories, a podcast about the business and culture of bookselling in the 21st century. I'm your host, Vic Singh. Before we begin, if you like what we're doing, there are a couple of ways to help us out. You can rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts, you can also support the show via Patreon. Finally, I'm excited to announce a cool partnership with Libro.fm. Libro.fm is the first audiobook company to directly support independent bookstores. They make it easy for you to listen to more audiobooks at a great price all while knowing you're helping your community thrive learn how to get your first month for 99 cents at bookstories.show this week's conversation is with esther darum owner of a great culinary bookstore concept in chicago called read it and eat prior to opening the store esther was a management consultant In this episode, she goes into how she pivoted to specialty book selling, the steps she took, and the lessons learned along the way. You'll learn a lot from her. I know I did. So here's my conversation with Esther. I'm really happy to have you on. This is great. We've spoken a few times and um, you were kind of like a, a model or a, when I was looking at doing something like this, you kind of were a light that helped me figure it out. So I'm, I'm appreciative of that. And I'm excited to talk to you about this because it's something that's very near and dear to me. Um, so I, I'd like to start at the beginning. What's the origin story of the store?
1: I love the fact that you use the term origin story, I've just been watching a lot of superhero movies, so that's a lot on my mind these days. <laughs> so um, I think my origin story is a little bit interesting because, um, as I tell people, you know, I was never the person who had a desire to own a, biz, like a book business. Um, I was never the person who had a background in cooking or anything that was culinary related outside of the fact that I love to eat. Um, And, uh, you know, I moved to Chicago, I took a couple of cooking classes, and I met someone who took people on culinary tours to Paris. And part of that, you get lessons in her kitchen, you get, she takes you to little businesses and some of those businesses are restaurants, and some of those businesses are um, sort of food related. So she took us to a little store that sold um, like little kitchen tools and things like that. And one of the places she took us to was a culinary bookstore in Paris. And so you know i walked in and for whatever reason it it just kind of you know it worked for me like it it felt really comfortable to be there i liked it i had a good feeling when i was there and i said you know this is really interesting and i started to do some research i'm a, you know management consulting by as as a i don't i say former profession but i still do it a little bit these days as well on on the side um and i did a lot of research and i found that there was no such thing in chicago So I came back and did more research, and I found a place that um, did workshops on how to own and run a bookstore. And so I took that one-week workshop, and then I found out that the margins were so tiny. And so I said, forget that. I like shoes. I like clothes. I like to have a roof over my head, and I kind of put it on the back burner. Um, Fast forward a couple of years, you know, the idea was still sort of in my mind, and so I just picked it up again, and I then started to write a business case And I worked with a couple of people from SCORE, which is a, um, I think it's part of the Small Business Administration, um, but basically what they are, they're retired executives or former business owners that work with people who are trying to build a business, um, you know, and they either mentor them through the process, help them figure out how to write a business plan, how to identify who their competitors are, or even like little things like marketing, like they, they do workshops and things like that. And so, you know, through working with her, we identified the fact that we really needed something else that had larger margins and brought in, um, you know, dollars that were a little bit more profitable. And so the idea of a kitchen emerged. And so from there, we started to write it and, and kind of form the concept. And fast forward a few years, here we are.
0: Did the store in Paris uh, have a kitchen? It did not. And, and does it still exist?
1: Yes, it still exists. I was in Paris two years ago, and I went back, and I kind of walked in and looked around and introduced myself, and they stared at me like I was funny, but that's okay.
0: <laughs> yeah, I reached out to, actually, I think it might be the same store in Paris for this series, and I haven't received an email, and they're one of the few people that haven't even written back, so... um <laughs> What was it about that space, though? I just for me, that's that's where the science of the vision comes in. Like, what can you identify a couple of things that made you go from like I'm a management consultant and I'm in this you know small store in the, in a tiny corner of Paris and I'm going to like change everything about what I'm doing? Do you have any sort of like insight on like what it was that sparked that?
1: I you know, like I said I, I really can't I can't tell you what really spoke to me. It was it was a feeling, um, which people who know me sort of laugh at that because I'm very left brain. Um, I'm about data, facts and analytics. And so for me to react on something that just kind of felt good and felt right, um, they sort of laugh at that. Um, But I think, you know, the more I think about it is, you know, we eat with our eyes. um, And as I started to look at these books, these you know, a lot of cookbooks are very beautiful. And I think to kind of see them all in one place, Um, was just a very nice feeling. And I think kind of combine that with the fact that food has always been sort of that, it's a medium that brings a lot of people together, regardless of what your relationship is with someone, regardless of what the cultural differences are. Um, You know, everybody sort of comes together and food kind of bridges the different aspects of culture and and, um, politics even and the economy. And so you know, I think kind of combining the two, i that's really what sort of spoke to me. And to be in a space like that, that had a lot of cookbooks with, you know, I mean, a lot of their books are in French, but they also had a lot of cookbooks on different cultures and cuisines. And to see all of that in one place, I, you know, was really very interesting to me.
0: Yeah, I've noticed a lot of people that want to get into different ethnic foods, the the cookbook or the if, if it's like summarized in a book, like let's say Scandinavian food, for example, like what is that? If it's accessible in a book form, it becomes easier to kind of approach. And books are kind of a unique way to kind of bridge that, that gap in a way. Yeah, I
1: would certainly agree with that. because I think someone sort of taken and taken that and broken that down for you and made it a little bit more approachable um and they've included stories about you know what it's what it means to them how they came to experience some of the dishes that they've experienced and put it in a book for you whether it's something traditional like something you grew up with or someone who's experienced something on one of their travels and they've kind of pulled it together
0: in a book Absolutely Well said. Talk about, so you you came up with the idea, you you had data points that you liked and you were ready to go. How'd you pick the neighborhood and spot? What were the data points for that?
1: (laughs) That was a real accident. Um, I was, I'm not sure when you were doing your research if you had reached out to a bookstore in London called Books for Cooks. I did. And so I've been to Books for Cooks and across the street from Books Books for Cooks is a little place um, that sells spices. And in Chicago, there's a neighborhood called Old Town. And in Old Town, um, there's a place called the Spice House. And all they do is sell spices. And I, you know, it's a nice neighborhood. It's a nice street with a lot of different restaurants. And I thought to myself, you know, how nice if I could get a space right across from them so that I can mirror what was happening in London with Books for Cooks. And you know, that neighborhood is also very expensive to rent in. Um, And so I was trying to figure out how to make it work. And I was driving home one day having picked up a few bottles of wine. I swear I wasn't drinking, but I took a wrong turn. And I sort of turned into a neighborhood called Lincoln Park on Armitage and then Halsted. And I said, this could probably work. And so um, I called a friend of mine who was a realtor, and he made some phone calls, and we started to look at some places, and that's how it came about.
0: Cool. See, there is a story there, too. <laughs> you mentioned at the beginning um, that you attended a workshop for aspiring booksellers. Can you talk a little bit mm-hmm. about that, what that experience was like, what it is, and who the people are that organize it?
1: Yeah, so the people who organize it, they're, um, the business is called Paz and Associates. Um, Donna Paz Kaufman is the founder, uh, with her husband, Mark, and they've been in the book industry for decades, whether it's as, um, I think they've owned their own bookstore at some point. Um, but I know Donna started out, uh, working in publishing for a while. Um, and then, you know, she's just sort of built on that business. And then she had a training business for a while. And I think with the experience her husband brings as well, night I think he's got a strong background in training and in books as well um they They sort of established this business and they run it together and they do different things, including consulting, meaning um you know if you wanted some help with a business plan, they would help you write a business plan um and they can get as involved or un- you know as as little involved as you want them to be. Um, and one of the things that they run is this one week workshop, which at that point they were running it in, um, in a facility in in Amelia Island, which, you know, if nothing else, at least you got to go to Amelia Island. And, um, and it's over four and a half days and, um, you know, you learn different things from the operations. So, you know, how to order books, how to manage inventory, uh, how to hire people, where to hire people. Um, they, there's a whole day on things like, um, financials and accounting. What are the ratios? That's when I found out the ratios were really tiny. Um, there's a, you know, there's a day that's dedicated to things like, um, the space and configuring the space and merchandising, um, you know, how to make, how to make the space inviting. And then there's a day that I think that's dedicated to, um, uh, you know, things that you can do to, to sort of attract people that aren't necessarily just about buying books, right? So she talks about things like, do you want to include a cafe? Do you do you want to do some ancillary services like book clubs and things like that? So it's a very comprehensive program. And, you know, I think it's it's a really good program. If you're trying to figure out if this is what you want to do, I think it's a good program to go through because I think there's a lot of romance, I feel, that's involved when someone says they want to open a bookstore. And it's a lot of hard work. And what they do with their program is they give you all of that information that sort of makes it very real. And, you know, if you decide after that that you still want to do it, then you're probably making a decision with your eyes open.
0: Definitely makes sense. You said that margins are tiny and retail is is just in general hard. What's your formula? What are you doing differently?
1: Um. So I would say, you know what, you know, to to use the A word, what Amazon and some of the big box retailers have done is, you know, because they're so big and so large, I think the focus for them is volume, and what they've done is they've made they've made it possible for businesses that sort of focus in a niche and focus in experience to emerge. Um, and to be able to build a business in that space. So if you want to sort of become very niche and very focused and still be in retail, you can do that. Um, and I think for us, what works is the experience that we bring to the table, right? Um, we do a ton of author events. So we're a destination in Chicago where if people want to meet authors, um, Where, where, where they come to. Um, We do cooking classes and yes, there are a lot of different places that do cooking classes as well, but this is just an additional revenue stream for us. Um, We do dinners, uh, you know, we've got a nice space that people from time to time want to rent and throw parties. And so the books really end up being what makes the concept. And yes, we sell books and yes, that's a large revenue stream for us, but I think the books by itself makes would have made my my business a very different business compared to having had the kitchen and the the ability to bring the experience that we're able to bring.
0: Yeah, so it's it's experience driven. It sounds like, and the kitchen is what is the most fascinating part to me because it's you're one of the unique stores that has this this hybrid where you have an, an extra space. Can you talk about the kitchen? What was the vision behind that? Um, how did you get from this bookstore in Paris to a full fledged kitchen? And I'm just curious how it all went down. The building aspect of it. It's a, this is a little geeky. Some people might be like, "What is this?" But just like you know, I, I'm building a kitchen for a retail space. What were the boxes that you wanted to check off. So,
1: you know, building the for for those who've never been for your listeners who've never been to the store, um, you know, the kitchen and and sort of the merchandise for the product side of the business all coexists in one space. So you walk in on the right hand side, wall to wall with books and bookcases, and then on the left hand side is the kitchen. And so, and the reason I say that and why it's important is because it's important for people to understand that as we were building a kitchen, we needed to build a kitchen that was both functional and yet had a very appealing look and feel, right? So we couldn't just build a a commercial kitchen with stainless steel tables because it wouldn't be inviting. And so a lot of our appliances end up looking like residential appliances, Um, Because now it looks like you've walked in into a kitchen in someone's home. Um, And so it was a bit of a challenge trying to figure out how to configure the space so that it was functional, so that we could, you know, do anything from a hands-on cooking class with, you know, 16, 20, 25 people, depending on what the size is. Um, to a space that we could configure um, when we did more of a demo in an author event, and we wanted to bring in more people, like fifty people, sixty people, seventy people. Um, and so, as you as we kind of went through that process, you know, I was trying to figure out how do we actually do it. And part of it, you know, is also working with what you have in the space too. So the reason the kitchen is on the left hand side of the store, as opposed to the right hand side of the store or further in the back, is because um, the space that we rented used to be uh, rented by a business that sold yogurt and, and kefir, I think. And so all the plumbing was on that side. Ah. And so and my contract said, that it's going to cost you a lot less money if you just put the kitchen on that side.
0: Sold. So. <laughs>
1: So, you know, there are all of those things, right? What can I afford? What can I do easily? What's practical? And, you know, how do I still make it look beautiful and inviting and aesthetically pleasing and all of those good things that, you know, people want to experience when they walk into a space like that.
0: With respect to like the appliances and stuff, were you able to partner with any appliance manufacturers or kind of like co- do any kind of a co-branding thing? Was that was that something that you were thinking about?
1: Um, that wasn't actually something that I was thinking about only because I just didn't know and I didn't know what I didn't know.
0: Yeah. yeah. Um,
1: but I, as I was looking for appliances, I walked into a business called apt, which isn't, I think I'm not sure. I don't think they're nationwide. I think they're very specific to Illinois and it's a big showroom with different brands and it's any appliance, kitchen appliance, you know, um, living room appliance, all the TVs, all of those good things, um, audio, video equipment and all of that. And as I was looking at um cooktops uh a decor rep approached me to talk about her product and i told her what i was doing and she said you know we sometimes sponsor um we sometimes sponsor appliances for business um if if we can get access to their space to use it from time to time as a demo space for some of our clients who come in mm-hmm. and so we worked out a deal um And I got almost $30,000 worth of appliances for about, $13,000. $13,000. So
0: that was a very good deal. Nice. Those types of things when I was looking at as far as like countertops, cabinetry, uh, there were a lot of vendors that were interested. The people that are coming to your space, you know, in theory, they will see the products and they will like the products and then they might go out and buy them. And it's kind of what Sur La Table does, right? I mean, they do the cooking classes, but they're essentially commercial for every single thing that they're doing or everything, tool that they're using, every cookbook that they're using. So, and, and the, there was,
1: absolutely correct. The, yeah.
0: the response is predictably pretty good. I've actually bought things from attending something that I whoa, that person's using this to do that? Oh, well, I need to have that, right? I mean, that's kind of the way it goes. And how
1: many times
0: have you used it since you took it home? Uh well no, it's a well so so I will say I will say the Vitamix gets regular use, but I mean oh that so, one always Yeah. So gives. like 70, 30, 30% usage rate, 70% in the closet or in the in the cabinet <laughs> but. But you know they did their job, right? They made the sales, so it's the rest of it. The onus is on me to and, and everybody else who to figure it out. So let's talk about some of the things in the store. You know, not being able to compete on price means you've got to have a laser focus on curation and discovery. And I'm going to talk to you about this idea of of bookstores as third places. Or not necessarily idea; it's a truism. But what's your curation process, and how do you approach curation for the store? Your specialty, so you're you're already kind of like you have a narrow focus. But what is your thought process with what you stock and and the kinds of the titles that you carry
1: so we need to go the first thing is we need to go deep in our inventory. so what that means is because i also have limited space i don't carry a lot of duplicate titles so unless i know it's something that we're definitely going to sell a lot of over christmas or it's a book that's just come out and i know we're going to sell a lot of but for the most part um all our titles are single copy. And that's how we get deep in our inventory. Um, there are different resources that are out there for booksellers to use, um, even in a niche business like mine. Um, Edelweiss is one of them where all all publishers can kind of have electronic catalogs. And you know I can go through and look through all those catalogs and figure out what I want to order. So the big ordering times for is a spring and fall, um, and then throughout the year, I just kind of keep looking to see if there's anything new and interesting out there. Um, obviously, there are a lot of other publications that talk about books that are coming out. So Publishers Weekly is one that's constantly talking about what's coming out. Um, you know, places, uh, publications like The Eater will will publish, you know, a big fall. Here are hero top, you know, Fifteen, twenty cookbooks, so there are places like that that give you a lot of information. and so a lot of it is just research. Um, it's really funny because I technically run a paper business, but all my research is done online.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um,
1: so a lot of that research is done online and then and then it's combining that with what we sell. So I can pull reports from my POS system to see. What we've sold in the last year? How has it changed from the year before? Um, And then it's just looking at how much you know by category. How what what ratio of sales have we sold, and what ratio of of stock do we want to have on the shelf? So, for example, if I've never sold anything in say I'm trying to think of something, say like in the arts and crafts category, um, and it takes up you know five percent of my shelf, then that's just too many. Um, but that doesn't mean I want to get rid of all of them because sometimes you just need to show some titles, um, to make, to make it look like you've got a complete collection.
0: Yeah, for sure. For sure.
1: Right. So, um, but then you have to be smart about that too, because you don't want to take up too much space with, with product that's not going to move.
0: Do you carry a lot of, do you sell a lot of backlist stuff or is it mostly kind of like new, 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 what people are looking for?
1: Right, we we have a big combination, so we do have a lot of backlist, um, and then we we have um, a lot of new that's coming out.
0: And what about kitchen equipment or kitchen essentials? Is that part of your plan now or in the future?
1: Um, it was part of the original plan. Um, I've sort of shelved it a little bit because it's you know I'm trying to figure out how I would need to change the space to be able to stock kitchen equipment. Um, I'm also trying to figure out if there's a way for me to be able to do this without actually bringing the stock into the space. So is there a way for me to just do this, um, by offering all of this on our website? And then that way, all I have to do is drop ship it as opposed to having to bring it in. And then I'm not holding on to stock and I can use the cash flow for something else.
0: Yeah, you could have a you could have a couple of the products in store for like demonstration purposes, right. and if someone wanted to order it and support the store, they could do it online, and you don't have to Absolutely. carry carry the inventory. And, and which is like the
1: Bonobos model, right? You yeah, go in and try on your clothes, and then you buy online.
0: And because of that one company, entire business models like Nordstrom are they're now creating essentially just little showroom hangouts where you go and you sit down on a couch and you have a stylist help you pick a few clothes, and then you do all the ordering online. So. Yeah okay, I'm going to well actually no i wanna i'm 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 curious what what sells really well in your particular store that kind of surprises you
1: <laughs> It surprises me not because you know i I'm surprised that there's a demand for it, but it surprises me because that's you know not how I eat okay yeah, yeah. <laughs> um but I think we sell we sell a lot of vegan. And gluten free books. It's it's very it's a big demand. There are a lot of people who are becoming more and more gluten sensitive, or are simply choosing not to eat gluten. And then as part of that, some people are also sort of they are becoming. Uh, there's a more sort of a push for a plant based diet. So. I'm surprised only because that's not how I eat. Right,
0: right. Yeah. Probably
1: not how I will ever eat. Yeah. Um but I just res- you know I know that it it's important to a lot of people and I 100% respect that. So as I laugh, you know, I hope nobody's going to be offended. It's just simply not how I eat and I just don't see myself eating that way. In fact, just to tell you a little joke, my um my cousin has two little kids and his wife was telling me that the little girl who's I think a little over 6 now has started to prefer vegetables and she's almost becoming vegetarian. And I sort of looked at her and I said, I demand a paternity test. This cannot be, she cannot be related to me.
0: Yeah, for sure. (laughs) I'm the same, I'm the same way, but you're right. I'm, especially today, increasingly surrounded by vegans or people who are exploring veganism. Maybe it's not necessarily for health purposes so much as it is for like, you know, animal rights and everybody has their reasons and their sort of like logic behind it. But yeah, I, I I think for me, it's mostly about discipline. Like, there's just too many things or too many situations I would find myself in where I want to eat something, and if I had to, like, go through my checklist on what I can and can't eat, I'd probably just end up failing miserably. Uh... So, okay. So we I mentioned third places a little bit ago. Let's kind of go back. Dozens of small bookstores across the country are opening multiple locations. And there's this thing, you know, that the press is writing about called the mini chains. San Francisco has a mini chain. Seattle has a mini chain called third place of all names. Brooklyn now has a mini chain. In your opinion, being in the business kind of experiencing this, you know, every day, is this simply just a function of more demand for third places? Or do you see something else happening? In your neighborhood, in your city, in your community,
1: um, I think I think definitely there's there's a demand for things that are unique and custom, and because of that, I think you know bookstores are able to survive because they provide that uniqueness and that customization, and someone can interact with them in a way that they want to. Um, the challenge with unique and custom is it's expensive. Right. You're not always able to achieve economies of scale um, and it becomes expensive. And I think, you know, businesses um, have to figure out how do I provide custom and unique while still being able to keep my costs down? And I think that's that's really a big that's really a big question and something that, you know, we're all trying to figure out. Um, because I think more and more people, while they still want custom and unique, and yes, they want to support you, but everybody also still has a limited budget. Um, And so there's always a request in some way, shape or form if there's a discount that's going to be offered. And so I think it's always a bit of a balance as to how you do that while keeping your costs down
0: as well. I talked to a store in San Francisco, and the guy told me that, um, his name is Pete, he told me that a Facebook employee, a 25-year-old or 26-year-old Facebook employee, now ex-Facebook employee, came to him and basically just wanted to pick his brain for an hour uh, about opening a bookstore. He was planning on moving from the Bay Area to, I think it was Brooklyn, and uh, which already has a lot of independent bookstores. And he had a concept, and he wanted to combine it with this tea idea he had, and basically what my question is, is what would you say to somebody who wants to open a bookstore today? How how can they make it work? What are the three things, if you were to kind of write a script on what somebody who has a little bit of resource and an idea, what would you tell them?
1: I mean, I think it goes back to what we talked about, right? You have to be able to provide that experience. You can't just, you can't just have a setup of a business that that's trying to compete with, with big box retail or anything like that, or Barnes and Noble, because you just will never be able to. Um, so you need to, you need to provide that experience, and you have to f- figure out what that experience is based on what your concept is. So, for example, there is a franchise called Books and Brews, um, I think they're predominantly in the Midwest, and it's basically this this brewery which you can go in and buy a beer, and you can buy a book. Most of their now most of their books are used books, um, and again, you know the the book is not is the book is not really what drives the business but right. the book sort of makes that experience unique and interesting and it's different from you know going walking into a pub and ordering a drink because you're still in an environment that that feels different because you've got all you're surrounded by all these books it's a different experience um, you're not just going there to you know watch you know the the Sunday afternoon NFL game um, you're going for something that's unique and different. And so, you know, I think what I would say is figure out.
0: And I don't know if
1: it's concept first and then experience or experience and then concept. But, you know, if you listen to Simon Sinek, he always starts with he always says start with the why. Why do you want to do it? And then figure out what it is that you're going to do and how you're going to do it.
0: Well said. Love it. You already mentioned the A word. So you actually took the hard part away from me because I have, I, had, I, I would, in previous interviews, I have to just jump right in and go there. So thank you for like easing the landing for me a little bit. When you see that Amazon now, let me actually step back for a second. Um, a lot of senators have expressed the the word is sympathetic. They have a sympathetic attitude toward tech giants saying that the world would be uh, a worse place overall if, if Amazons were not in it. That being said, when you see that Amazon is now opening physical stores, what do you make of that? Um,
1: I mean, I think
0: do you see it as competition or are you fully, uh, like you said earlier that they're going to do what they're going to do. And I'm just focusing on my experience niche specialty model. Yeah. So I,
1: you know, I, I've been to the Amazon store that's in Chicago. Um, It, it felt very much like walking into a Barnes and Nobles with an Amazon logo. Um, so seeing as I, Don't compete with Barnes. When I say don't compete, it doesn't mean that we are not, you know, the same customers that come to me, don't go to them. But I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to provide the service that they're trying to provide. I'm not trying to provide the service that Amazon's trying to provide. Um, And so, you know, I, I don't try and compete with that because I just cannot. And, you know, I think they're probably Amazon maybe is also trying to reconnect with the community a little bit. You know, if you read about what they've been trying to do, a lot of their books are sourced based on what they believe um, the neighborhoods where they have those stores and what they're buying and things like that. So I think they are trying to maybe reconnect a little bit more with their customers. Um, So we'll see. We'll see how it works out.
0: Yeah, I think a big part of it actually, you actually just hit the nail on the head. A lot of it for them, if you do the math, like it's not, they don't necessarily need to do this, but it's sort of like they're trying to ingratiate themselves into their major markets or, you know, their major centers and, and being a physical presence that you walk by every day, I guess kind of does that when you kind of pass by something, uh, it's, it's kind of like a billboard in a way, you know, you just kind of see it and, and it might, it, it, to me, to, a lot of it is that, cause I've been into a few of the stores as well and they're not going to keep me from going to the independent bookstore that I go to. You know, like it's, there's no, there's no, there's, they're completely different experiences.
1: Exactly.
0: Um, Let's narrow back down a little bit. What is the biggest pain point in your business right now? If you had a magic wand and you could fix something or you could change something, what would you want to change or fix? Mm,
1: so I'm at a point where I'm, I'm trying to scale the business. Um, and what's hard for me with regard to that is to be able to pull myself out of the day-to-day to be able to go and, and actually do it and focus on that. Um, you know, so whether that's, and also to be able to pay for some of this, right? So yeah. uh, you know, I, I've been trying to figure out how to, how to launch a podcast, um, what that concept should look like. And that takes both time and resources. Um, so if I had a magic wand, I would basically say, you know, I want this business to be running perfectly so that I can extract myself from this and figure out how to actually scale the business.
0: By scale, are you are you contemplating expansion? Are you contemplating like a bigger events thing? Like what are what are some of the things that you are on the horizon potentially? So
1: a little bit of everything. I'm looking to add to what we offer. Um so today we've got the space, we bring in, you know, we bring in a lot of different authors, we do cooking classes. Um, So we have that going, and so being able to get deeper into that, being able to hire the right people who can sort of delve into that for me, who've got more of an area of expertise in in sort of developing a culinary program, um, that's critical for me, and I've done some things and put some people in places, and, you know, that's sort of, we're trying to figure that out right now. But then also looking at new things that we can offer, right, so that we can extend our brand um, and, and also extend our reach, which in some ways ties into being able to do more events. So for example if if I launched a podcast that was about um, review of cookbooks that were coming out, um, you know when I talk to a publisher about an author coming into town you know that becomes a marketing tool for me and if we're able to use that as a marketing tool then we become more interesting to the publisher because all publishers want to know is how are you going to market this event? How are you going to bring numbers in? Um, and, and how are we going to make this good for both of us? Because at the end of the day, they want to be able to sell books. We want to be able to sell books too. So, you know, it's, it's about expanding into other areas, um, but also expanding into other areas allows us to get really good or even better, I shouldn't say, we're already really good at it, but even better at what we do and offer even
0: more. For sure. The, you use the word programming, and, and I think programming is everything. As as your customers come to you on a daily basis or they, they give you feedback on a regular basis, you, you can kind of, you know, synapses can fire in your brain and you can go in other areas that you never thought, you know, oh, I never thought about that this way or, or this kind of an angle. And customers are fantastic in that regard because they will let you know. And there are as many customers as there are, there are as many different types of programs that you can put into your roster, you know?
1: Right. Agreed.
0: Um, What changes would you like to see within the book industry as a whole?
1: Oh, that's a tough one. Um, I think, I think, so what's interesting for, for my business and where we are as a business is a lot of our love comes from the food world. So we get a lot of love from restaurants. The, the offsite events that I have been going to as a business tend to be more food driven. We just were basically at the good food expo. We were there as booksellers. Um, I helped them secure talent for their chefs at play stage. From a publishing standpoint, um, obviously there are a lot of publishers that we work with, there are a lot of publishers that we get a lot of support from. Um, What is missing for me is sort of on a bigger scale when you think about um, resources that are out there for booksellers, um, whether it's through the ABA and even, you know, there's this big book expo that's, you know, around once a year. That is very sort of general bookstore driven. So all of the resources are for general bookstores. If you look at you know um, bestsellers lists that they put out, they're all for general bookstores. And so I think, and you know, if if what I think could change in publishing is really less about publishing as as a business, but more about the book world and and. Who they feel that they should be serving, because if a lot of us are, you know, a lot of us sort of our special specialties have a big play in a lot of this. Um, so, for example, there's a resource out there called Adelwise, um, but and and it's like the you know AC Nielsen for bookstores, but independent bookstores. But I don't report up to them. I don't report POS data up to them because. Um, you know, none of my peer groups are reporting into them either. And so when I look at data that I get back from them in terms of what's selling across the country, it's data that I'm getting back from a general bookstore and a general bookstore carries a very different collection from what I would carry because I need to go deep, whereas they need to go broad.
0: Right. Yeah, so, no, it makes sense.
1: Right. So if yeah. I think about what I would change, it's less about the actual publishing world, so to speak, but really the resources out there for some of the specialty bookstores.
0: That's a great sentiment. The idea that I got, just the sense that I got from the time that I spent in this space is that everything is very generalist-driven. Everything is very Mm -hmm. generalist-specific. That's interesting. Uh, This actually ties into my next question before we start the lightning round, which is, is there an innovation or thing nobody is doing in your business right now?
1: Oh, if I told
0: you, I'd have to kill you. <laughs> yeah. Every, so ha- half of the respondents have said, "Well, if there was, I would, I would already be doing it." Um, but my, well, my, listen, I've
1: been watching superhero and spy movies. You know where my head is.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but my logic, my 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 reason for asking is because a lot of times when you're in your day to day business or in your day to day life, you kind of just you just develop a, a workflow, you develop a, a kind of a, a routine, and sometimes sometimes even superheroes things fly fly by us you know um and and so that's that's what i'm getting at is there like you know do you ever do when you're on your when you're driving home when you're driving in do you ever think wow no one's done this or no one or why aren't more people doing that and it's okay if you don't have an answer i I just like to to kind of get a sense for there's there's an opportunity waiting to be there's a stone waiting to be turned over here
1: so i think it's it's really around what i mentioned a little bit before but podcasts I think a lot of people listen to podcasts today and I think for a bookseller and, you know, even there's a lot of people who are putting out podcasts that about cookbooks, like, you know, they do a review and a breakdown of cookbook. Um, but I think, you know, for a bookstore, if, if you sort of maybe um, come up with your own podcast, it can really end up in my mind. And, you know, this is one of those things that I wish I had you know, the time to be able to go and chase down and figure out how to do it. Um, If you had a, you know, like, for example, for me, it'd be like a, we did a neat branded podcast and it's about, you know, cookbooks. It really becomes an additional marketing tool for you. It's not just a marketing tool or uh, in terms of, you know, having publishers send more people to you, but it's a broader marketing tool in terms of being able to extend your brand and, you know, extending your brand really at the end of the day is, Is means that you're you're top of mind with people. And and that's always important in terms of staying relevant. So that's, you you know, I haven't seen a lot of booksellers. I mean, obviously, there are a lot of different podcasts out there, but I haven't seen a lot of bookstores do it. You know, maybe you have because you've been talking to a lot of people, but that's where my head is at.
0: No, you're absolutely right. Top of mind. That's the key the thing with podcasts too that I would say or any any form of broadcasting any form of brand extension is that the answer or the question well isn't everybody doing it aren't there a lot of these already out there Um, the answer is yes but I would go back to what you said which is you can always make it differently there's a lot of bookstores out there but yours is different because you know there's a lot of TV shows out there but this one is different because so just because there's a lot doesn't mean that that's not a reason to do not to do something the thing that you have to kind of go into is like how how am I going to be different what's my model what is my mark going to be? So it's cool to know that your head, your mind is in that headspace. Okay, I'm going to jump to a lightning round. What does your business look like in five years?
1: Um, I, I want to say we'd be in a bigger space. Um, we would have an expansion of different revenue streams, including um, media and advertising. Um, I've been toying with the idea of you know, having the expanding the space and bringing in more of a coffee place and a wine place. So a bigger space, um, different revenue streams like we talked about, and then um, maybe even another location.
0: Do you think that print will always exist?
1: As far as I can see, I think print will definitely always exist when it comes to cookbooks. Um, you know, I think there is there is something that's very tactile about the experience of a cookbook. Um, and, you know, I think print and digital will always, will always coexist, right? So for example, I was trying to make something which required a hard boiled egg and it just said use one hard boiled egg because the whole recipe is not about, you know, boiling eggs. So I very quickly, you know, looked up something online and figured out how to make a hard boiled egg. So I think there's definitely, um, digital and, and print will always coexist in my mind, at least from a cookbook standpoint.
0: What are you reading at the moment?
1: Um, I'm actually reading in the middle of reading Buttermilk Graffiti, which is by Edward Lee. He's got um, um, his, this is really a memoir and his travels across the U.S. Um, learning about different cultures and flavors. Um, and we're actually doing an event with him um, towards the end of April.
0: Cool. So it's a little homework.
1: Yeah, it's a little homework for me.
0: Are there any writers or chefs out there you'd like to mention that you think should be getting more attention?
1: Oh, wow. Um, I'm sure they are, but I'm drawing a blank right now.
0: Is there a piece of great advice that you were told once that you can share today?
1: Oh, I'm sure there's, you know, my mother tells, my mother's always telling me what I need to be doing better. So there's probably a lot of words of wisdom from her, which I probably have been rolling my eyes at. And as I've gotten older, have been right. And now I'm rolling my eyes even more, because, you know, that means she's probably write about everything else that i bought her on so
0: very true <laughs> um complete the sentence chicago is
1: chicago is very cool and it's a great food destination
0: what book have you recommended the most over the years
1: um i would say it's actually a book that you know and i this is really our third year but the book that i recommended the most is um in the last year is a book called six seasons by joshua mcfadden it's a vegetable forward book it's not vegetarian i want to clarify that um, but you know i am always looking for ways to add vegetables to my diet even though i do like a lot of protein i need a lot of meat um, and this is a book that you know allows allows you to do that and the vegetables uh, it's all seasonal based and so you're always working with the freshest of ingredients
0: Finally, last but not least, most important question: What's in your ideal sandwich? I don't eat sandwiches. Wow, uh, yeah, that's that's unique. I've, even, no one has said that yet. So, okay, two shades. I mean, I do eat. Yeah, I mean,
1: I eat a sandwich only because
0: I can't get my hands on anything else. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Fair enough. Well said. Esther, this has been amazing. I I thank you so much for participating in the series. And I'm excited about your store and what you guys are doing. And I wish you all the best.
1: Thank you so much for
0: having me. I'm Vic Singh, and you've been listening to Book Stories. Book Stories is produced by Alternate Thursdays in Los Angeles.